please open up to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. We made it to chapter 2 in our series here in 2 Timothy. Well, the title of today's message is Passing It On. It's in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7. Guys, say, it is exciting to be up here with you. I just have a, I guess you could say a fresh faith. A fresh faith and grace this morning after a wonderful week of prayer and fasting. Thank you for so many of you who participated in that to do it together. And I just pray that I could pass on that grace according to the title here this morning as I had the privilege of preaching through this passage. Well, as Al alluded to, just last week we celebrated our 20th birthday here at Palm Vista. And what a sweet time that was. And I was still just, even this past week, reflecting upon that Saturday that we had together. And at one point in the cookie, I just sat down and took a look at the scrolling photos that were going throughout the day. That just captured the uh, visual image, just all that God's been doing in and among us this last 20 years. And there's two things that really caught my attention as I looked at those photos. Number one, how God has used Palm Vista to touch so many lives. Many of those people that we saw in their earlier photos are no longer with us. But you know what? Many of them are still ministering and serving the Lord in his gospel purposes in Virginia, in Mississippi, in Ohio, in Orlando, in Nashville, in Nicaragua, and all over. And the second thing, and maybe it hit you as well, I was just looking at these photos going, wow, children grow up so quickly. I mean, just some of the young faces that we saw of children who are now teenagers, who are adults, who are with us. Uh, It was great to see those young faces and smiles. But I was also aware there are many young people who grew up in the church who are still here and walking with the Lord. There's also some who I saw who are not any longer. And it all impressed upon me the importance of what we're going to speak about today in this very text. The need to pass on the gospel as a church and to persevere in doing so, no matter how difficult, no matter how complicated it may get. Church, we have a call upon us. And it's this. We'll put it on the screen. It's the main theme for, I believe, this passage. is God's heart for us this morning, for us to hear. And it's this. By the grace of God, pass on and persevere in the gospel. Pass on and persevere in the gospel. With that in mind, let's read our text now, found in 2 Timothy, starting chapter 2, verse 1. The word of God reads, you then, my child, by the way, this is Paul speaking to his young disciple or protege, Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier 
of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. May it be. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we ask this morning that you would indeed, Lord, strengthen us, fortify us, and move us. Lord, we want to be a church who has counted the cost of following you and is wholeheartedly following you, no matter what that cost may be. Lord, show us this morning what it means to pass on as well as persevere in the gospel. Lord, by your amazing, never exhaustive grace, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, point one, church, by the grace of God. I love how Paul begins the second chapter. He begins it with a, a really a, a tenderness, but yet a resolve. It's the aged, imprisoned Apostle Paul, and he's saying to young Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice the first word there, you. You then. In the English as well as the original Greek, that first word is you. It's there for emphasis. It's as if Paul is saying, you then, Timothy, in contrast to Phagellus and Hermogenes, those who we read about in chapter 1, those who had denied Paul and been ashamed of the gospel. Don't be like them. You, you be different, Timothy. Rather, be like Anesiphorus, who wasn't ashamed. Timothy, don't retreat. Oh, I know, Timothy, there, there are those who oppose you. There are those who despise you, Timothy. There are those who twist your words, Timothy. But Timothy, keep preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, that begs the question, how? How? How do you keep going? How do you do it? Well, Paul provides the answer for Timothy. In fact, he starts there, and that's where we need to start. And it's a command. It's a command we're about to read, which unlocks all that Paul has said in chapter 1. It really informs all that he, and we're going to talk about today in chapter 2. It's this wonderful phrase and command. Here it is. Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I don't want to move over that too quickly. Sometimes we can when we hear familiar words, can't we? By the grace of God. As if it's a kind, of a, some kind of a tagline, you know, or a byline. No. Church, you understand, Paul is saying, what he's saying, this is a command. This is an imperative. Paul isn't saying, Timothy, oh, my wish for you is that you be strengthened. He's saying, Timothy, be strengthened. There is grace for you. It's a command. And it's a command for us as well. If you were here last week, you might, you probably remember Al speaking of Anesiphorus, who he referenced earlier in verse, chapter 1, verse 16. Anesiphorus was most likely a slave, a freed slave, that is, who took the long journey from Ephesus in modern-day Turkey all the way to Rome, where Paul was suffering in prison. He went there 
to identify with Paul in his suffering, in his imprisonment. And Nesiphorus was a man who was not ashamed of the gospel. You see, everyone else was rejecting Paul and the stigma, the fact that he was imprisoned. He was a doomed man. People were fleeing Paul like a Zika virus. They were out of there. But Onesiphorus, he was running to Paul, not away from Paul. Why? Because Onesiphorus was not ashamed of the gospel. No, he wasn't. Nor what they could do to him. Onesiphorus didn't flinch, no matter what the bite. And I don't know if Al, I think Al may have said this, but I just typed in my notes last Sunday. Quote, this is me personalizing the message. I want to be an Onesiphorus, but I often feel like a homogenes. I want to be that person who is not ashamed of the gospel, who identifies with Christ in suffering. But I often feel so weak, so weak, even like homogenes who denied him. You see this command to be strengthened? You understand this implies something, doesn't it? If we're commanded to be strengthened, it implies this, that we're often weak and we feel weak, that we are in need of something. And that something is explicitly stated. It's the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. This grace is a saving grace that comes through Jesus Christ. But it's not just a saving grace that's ours. There's an empowering grace for you and me as his disciples, as his followers, which God calls us and commands us to walk in, all those who have been saved. Paul says as much. Look in your, in your Bible. Let's just go back to chapter 1. Look at verses 8 and 9. Look at that, this empowering grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. Picking up in verse 8 of chapter 1, Paul is saying, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Here it is. God who saved us, saving grace, and called us to a holy calling. Not because of works, our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. Do you see it? God, through Christ Jesus, gave us a grace. That grace, that unmerited favor, what he did for us, not only saves us, but allows us to walk out this holy calling which he has given us. Church, that is empowering grace. That's what we sang about. A grace that saves, but a grace that also empowers us to do what is right. That's what Paul is saying. Be strengthened in it. Grammatically, you know what this command says? Be continually strengthened. Be continually strengthened. Last week, I was on a father-son trip out west in Wyoming. And we had the opportunity to snowshoe and backpack to this remote cabin up, about, up at about 10,500 feet. Joel and I, my son and I, went along with Raphael and his son Ezra. And really was built as an adventure. Really what we wanted to do more than just have a good time. It was really designed to speak to our sons about biblical manhood. About doing hard things. And we figured snowshoeing up to 10,000 feet in a remote cabin, that qualified as a hard thing. And it was a great, it, it was, and it's not getting any easier, I tell you. 
So up we climbed. And although we brought some food with us to this remote cabin, we knew that we would be partly living off the land for the days we were up there. That meant finding our own water as well as catching our own fish to eat as well. See, the cabin had no plumbing, had no electricity uh, for that matter. And our young men, Joel and Ezra, did an amazing job. We brought an ice auger. They drilled a hole two and a half feet through the ice in the lake that was adjacent to the cabin and caught 26 trout. I was impressed. We ate well during our time up there. So they really had the hard job. They're fishing. The wind's blowing 30, 40 mile per hour gusts across the lake, blowing the snow everywhere. That was their job to fish. You know what my job was? To get water. That was pretty easy, you know? I mean, there's snow all around, not too hard. I mean, you could go to the lake, but it's like a quarter of a mile through the snow, and I might be labeling up water and bringing it back to the cabin. So I thought, hey, get like five feet of snow right outside the cabin. I'll just melt snow. So I get this big container, this big styrofoam container of snow, and bring it into the cabin, and, and I'm melting it. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be easy. I, I, I spent 35 minutes melting this big container of snow, it got about this much water. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, we're in trouble here. I mean, we need to hydrate. We're thirsty. We want to eat. We need water. This is not going. This is ridiculous. I had no idea what effort it was it would take to melt snow. I guess snow in the Rockies is light. There's not a lot of humidity. It's just there's not much water in it, okay? Well, later that afternoon, we went on a hike. And, and Joel, my son, spotted this, this pump. This is a water pump. No, it was buried in snow five feet. He's just off the top of the pump. And he goes to the pump. He starts pumping away. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> There's no way. It's been below freezing for months, you know. And sure enough, water started coming out. Fresh, cool water streaming out of this pump. I was amazed. I'm like, Dad, why don't we use the pump? You know, I'm like, great idea, you know. And I got to confess, this is embarrassing, I had actually seen the pump earlier in the day. I saw it going, they're not going to get any water out of that. It's frozen. It's ridiculous. There's not going to be any water. So here I am, you know, heating this big, you know, pot of snow, you know. And, oh. Friends, here's the point. No matter how cold or numb or frigid your heart may be right now, there is a well called grace for you and for me. And this well was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. It was purchased and it was given to you to walk out the life he has called you to do. It is called empowering grace. And there is a well for you and there's a well for me. You know what? This well never runs dry. This well never freezes over. It's called empowering grace. You may not be called to live off the land like we were doing in Wyoming. I'm thankful I'm not called to do that either. But we are called to live off grace. And that's what Paul is reminding Timothy of. And it's a reminder that you and I need this morning. Just like Timothy, we need to be continually strengthened by the grace of God We need to go to the well again and again. 
But when I read that, maybe like you, I ask this question. I think it's a fair question. Well, how, to exam- how exactly do we go to the well? How exactly do we experience this empowering grace? Let me just say this, this point in the sermon. It entails humbling ourselves. It's really what we did last week for all those who prayed and those who fasted. It's humbling ourselves. It's relying upon the Holy Spirit whom he has given you. Check it out. Chapter 1, verse 14. It's right there. The Holy Spirit which dwells within you. It's humbling ourselves. It's relying on the Holy Spirit. There's something else. It's then moving out in faith. It's priming the pump. The pump that leads to God's grace. It's there for you. And it's there for me. I mean... That well was there, but you know what? Someone had to get on their clothes. I mean, not a lot of clothes, like, you know, get outside and go to the well. And usually that was Raphael going out in the bitter cold, getting on his knees in the snow and pumping for 10 minutes. It required our action, our movement, not to earn God's favor or grace, but to appropriate it, saying, I have grace for you. I want you, church, to move out. I want you, Christian, to move out, rely upon me, and I'm going to give you that empowering grace. I believe that's what Paul is getting at here when he is speaking to Timothy. And that leads to verse 2. What are we supposed to do then with this empowering grace? What does this grace actually empower us to do? Let's look at verse 2. You skip this verse, number 2, and you lose one of the reasons God has given his empowering grace to us. In fact, verse 2 is the very way that we experience his empowering grace as we share in Christ's suffering. In other words, point 2, God's empowering grace is given to us and experienced by us as we, we'll put on the screen, point 2, pass on and persevere in the gospel. Let's take a look now at that first portion of that phrase, pass on, pass on A, pass on the gospel. Let's read it again, verse 1 and 2 together. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's as if Paul is saying, Timothy, there's grace. There's grace for your calling. Take courage. Be strengthened by this grace and pass on what you have heard, what has been deposited to you, this gospel, and pass it on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Why is Paul saying that at this juncture? Well, if you read on in this letter to Timothy, the last chapter 4, I think we get the answer. Paul is saying to Timothy, I want you to come to me. Remember, he's way in Ephesus in modern-day Turkey, saying, Timothy, I want you to come to me. I need you. But before you come to me and depart and leave your church in Ephesus, there's something you need to do. It's this. Pass on the gospel that has been entrusted to you to other faithful men. Presumably elders. Don't know for sure, but I would say based on Paul's letters in 1 Timothy, he's probably speaking about other elders who would then be able to faithfully teach others in the church at Ephesus. Pass it on, what you have been given. You see, 
the Apostle Paul in this text, and it's really God, inspiring Apostle Paul, is spelling out to Timothy what it means to properly guard the gospel. Recall that phrase from last week, guard the gospel. It's really our theme, thematic phrase. comes from the thematic verse in this letter, guarding the gospel. Well, last week, I'll introduce this main theme in the letter. It's found, look at it, chapter 1, verse 14. Let's go there. Look in your Bibles. Here it is. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This good deposit is the good news, Jesus Christ. What is that gospel? It's this, that we are so bad that we can do nothing to save ourselves. But God is so good, he has done everything to save us. I borrowed that from someone I read this week. I thought it was pretty cool. What a great summation of the gospel. That's what we are to entrust and deposit to others. Notice the word used in verse 2. I said pass on, and that's okay, you know. As pastors like to use, you know, alliterations, pass it on, persevere. But I think entrust is a better word. Of course it is. It's in Scripture, right? It's right there. It's inspired. It's just entrust. You understand what this means when we say entrust something to someone else? It means to present or put forth something for their safekeeping. Entrust this to them for its own protection, right? That sounds a lot like guarding to me, isn't it? In other words, no one guards the gospel by hiding it. Last week, Al used the illustration of the Mona Lisa, right? Guarding this precious gospel, which is like this masterpiece, the Mona Lisa. Well, guarding the Mona Lisa doesn't mean hiding it in an armored truck or a back room. No, no, no. To properly guard this masterpiece is not to hide it. The best way to guard the Mona Lisa is not to cover it up, but to securely and properly display the Mona Lisa so that coming generations can view it and can see this masterpiece. And you know what happens as more people see the real Mona Lisa? Fewer people will be confused by its counterfeits. Church guarding the gospel includes faithfully teaching the gospel to faithful people who will then in turn do the same. To guard the gospel is to pass it on to others. So the gospel does not end with us. It does not end with our generation. Now, I admit to you that Al and I, as the elders here at Palm Vista, have a unique role as the primary teachers, okay, to teach the gospel. That is true. And it's one we take seriously. It's the same responsibility Timothy had. But I hope you realize that guarding this gospel and passing it on also involves you as well in a variety of ways. You have a role in making sure that this gospel is faithfully transmitted. Not only by the way that you attentively listen on Sunday mornings, as you come to the GROW course we just had, learning about the very grace that we're talking about right now, you have a responsibility, I believe, to be able to faithfully listen and affirm that which is true and that which you are hearing. But even more than that, also affirming those 
that we at Palm Vista raise up to be the future leaders of his church. Teachers and pastors, faithful men who can teach. We're going to talk more about this role that we believe you have as a congregation, as a member of Palm Vista, at our next church family meeting. The whole congregation, you have a role in helping identify and affirm the next generation of leaders. Why? That the gospel may be properly guarded. When I say guarded, I'm also including passed on as well. But I also think this responsibility to pass on the gospel is also part of what it means for you and I to be the disciple of Christ. You realize what's called the Great Commission? It was given to the church. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them and teaching them all that Christ has commanded. That was given to the church. And if you're in this church, as you are a disciple of Christ, I believe that is your responsibility as well. Whether or not you're an elder, whether or not you would have a public gift of teaching, whether or not you're male, Everyone, male and female, has a role to see that spiritual multiplication is taking place. See, I hope you understand that what you're hearing this morning right now, you understand this isn't just for you. What you're hearing this morning isn't just for you. No. Far from it. If that's how you think, the gospel at Paul Vista will not be properly guarded and passed on. It will be stopped up. And you will be spiritually constipated. I'm sorry for that analogy, but it just just works, okay? <laughs> yeah, this is a laxative, isn't it? This, this message, I'm sorry, but this is what I'm hoping it is, okay? That's really messy, but okay, you get the point, right? <laughs> sorry. Every Christian is called to entrust the gospel to others who will then do the same. And as we do so, you know what happens? We experience God's fresh, empowering grace. Let me illustrate. I was thinking about this illustration. I've used it before, but it's just helpful for me. I hope it is for you. I was thinking of this illustration as I saw Alan Desi's photos of their visit this past fall to Israel. It's the story of two seas. We're going to put it up there on the screen. I'm sorry it's not labeled, but let me orient you. This is the Holy Land, Middle East. That big body of water on the left is the Mediterranean Sea. Go inland, go east, go right, and you'll see two different bodies of water, one in the north and one in the south. Well, let me unpack this for you. The story of two seas. These two seas, inland bodies of water, dominate the landscape of Israel and Palestine. One is filled with fresh water, fed by the headwaters of the Jordan River up north. This sea is almost 13 miles long, and it is filled with abundant sea life and surrounded by mostly green, sloping shoreline. This sea is where Jesus, around it, is where Jesus did most of his public ministry, all right? It's where the disciples fished. It's where Jesus, on the banks of the sea, fed the multitudes. It is called the Sea of Galilee, and it's the one on top in the north, Sea of Galilee. Seventy miles south of the Sea of Galilee is another sea. Get a load of this. This sea 
receives an average of 6 million tons of water each day. She receives it from the Jordan River. You can't see it. That goes down from the Galilee, from the Sea of Galilee, that trickles down or flows down all the way to that longer, elongated body of water in the south called the Dead Sea. What's the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the sea there to itself? The difference is is the sea in the south has no outlet. The sea in the south is four times as salty as the ocean. It is so buoyant that humans can easily float on the surface. The water is undrinkable, smells like sulfur, and is bitter to the taste. In fact, in this sea, there is no traceable sea life. It is appropriately called the Dead Sea. What's the difference? The Dead Sea receives fresh water daily from the Jordan River. But it keeps it all to itself. It hoards what it keeps in the rich minerals it collects, and the water becomes lifeless and toxic. But the sea to the north, the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, sparkles with freshness. Not only because it receives water from the mountains to the north, but it freely gives away the water it has received down the Jordan to the Dead Sea. Friend, which sea are you? Are you entrusting the gospel, what you have heard here, to others? Are you the Sea of Galilee? Or are you keeping it to yourself, the Dead Sea? You see, empowering grace flows to those who give away the gospel. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel, maybe you're not even wanting to admit it, you just, you feel spiritually lethargic this morning. You even feel a little numb, a little cold, as we were talking about earlier. I don't know all the reasons why you may feel that this morning. I'm not going to guess all the reasons why. And if you feel that way, say, I'm sorry. And, but more than that, I, I get it. I've been there many times. I'm no super saint. I know what it is to feel numb, to feel weak, to feel lethargic. But if that's you, can I ask you the simple question? As a disciple and member of this church, are you actively passing on what you're hearing? What's been entrusted to you in the gospel? Are others receiving it from you? From your life and your words as well. I know that some of you here, you're in different seasons of life. Some of you are providentially hindered by that season or by your health. You feel like you can't do much. Core, it's all I can do to come here on a Sunday and to hear something to keep me going the next week. What are you asking of me? Can I just say if you're in that boat, don't discount the influence that you can have on one person. Maybe you don't have much contact with people during the week because you're at home. Maybe you're a young mom. Maybe you're elderly and you have another struggles of your own health-wise. Don't discount one person. And secondly, don't discount prayer, the effectiveness of prayer. 
Maybe all you can do is pray for that person you've met, that family member you know, that grandchild, that neighbor, that family member, and pray that they would receive the gospel. But it's a mentality. It says, God, as long as I have breath on this earth, I want to be used of you in any way you choose in whatever seasons of life to be able to pass on through prayer and through my words and through my life what you have entrusted to me. That is empowering grace. You know, I, I have found, and I, I bet a number of you have found this to be true as well. There is a spiritual vitality when we step out in grace and give of ourselves. When we pass on the gospel to others, when we disciple others, when we teach them. But I'm not even talking just about teaching formally, just investing in another life that they may know this good news that we have experienced. You know, I, I can be so tired sometimes. I'm often tired. But when I step out in faith and give away which God has deposited within me, something amazing happens. There is an energy. There is an excitement. There is an anticipation. It's like, this is what I was made for. Duh, this is what I was called to do. And when I do it, there's an empowering grace that I could not have anticipated beforehand. I certainly didn't feel beforehand. That's how this empowering grace works. You see, I, I, I don't like sit around in my office like, Lord, zap me with grace and get up, you know. I, I, just, I can just sit there all day. I don't feel the zapping, you know. But it's, Lord, I believe. He said, be strengthened with your grace. I believe it's there for me because you've called me to do your will. I'm going to get up in, your, in faith and reliance upon you. And I'm trusting you're going to work through me. And you know what? He does so often. It doesn't mean I'm not physically tired at the end of the day. Yeah, I am. But there's something life-giving. This is what I'm made to do and what you're made to do. It's what Paul Vista has been created to do, to give him glory and to deposit and his fame and his glory throughout the earth by sharing what we have been given to others that they can partake as well. So with application, have you identified someone in your life that you can actively input into, that you could teach, that you could disciple? Well, if you're a parent, right? Start to, you have a child, or maybe two, or maybe three. Maybe it's not a child, but it's a friend. Maybe it's another member of this church who is a newer believer. They need help. They're glad to be here, but, you know, it's not like Al and I can have all this personal one-on-one time each week. That's why we have you, the body, the church. And maybe they don't even know to ask, but you just say, can I come alongside and encourage you and help you? Can I pray for you? Maybe there's needs they have, and maybe part of that is understanding the gospel better and encouraging them and meeting with them. I hope we're doing that. But if you're not, I, my intention this morning is not to guilt you. I just I simply want, because I believe his word, to be able to encourage you and to build the conviction in you that this is what God is asking of us. And we, as pastors, want to help equip you to do that. A lot of our discussion this past year, Al and I, has been regarding how can we equip you better to be disciples. And we're still working on it. We're growing as well as you are. So we still have more things to share. That's where we're going, because we're called to be mature, maturing followers of Christ who are making disciples. That's what we're called to do. Is it easy? <laughs> no, it's not. Is it hard work? Yes, it is. 
but it is our call. It comes with empowering grace, but it comes with suffering as well. Last point, persevere, be in the gospel. I don't know about you, but are you like just ever dismayed at times like how difficult the Christian life is? Just being honest with you. How difficult it is to pray and fast if you tried this week. <laughs> it's hard. How hard it is to give and serve wholeheartedly. If you've had those feelings, I think you have. Can I just tell you, you're not alone. And neither do we suffer alone either. I love how the ESV version of the Bible, what I read to you this morning, accurately and expressively translates verse 3. Let's look at it. Share in suffering. Catch that? Share. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I think one of the greatest temptations we face is believing that our suffering is somehow unique to ourselves, right? No one else, no one else can understand what I have been through. I'm unique in the history of mankind and in this universe. No one has suffered like I have. And we may not say it that way, but we we feel it, right? You feel isolated from everyone else. And maybe you are suffering in different ways. But suffering is not unique to you. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except that which is common, common to man. No temptation. And I believe when it says no temptation, that includes suffering. You better believe suffering is a temptation. No temptation, no suffering that you've been through is not common to man. If you're in service to God, you're suffering. God promises suffering, church, but he also promises his empowering grace, which we've talked about. He's promised his empowering grace as well as his future grace. And that leads to the last three verses of our text. In these verses, Paul is calling Timothy to suffer with him in proclaiming and passing on the gospel. But it's also a call for us as believers to suffer with and for Christ. And Paul gives three illustrations. You see it of a soldier, of an athlete, and of a farmer. I'm looking at verses 4 through 6. And it drives home this very point of sharing and suffering. Let me read it for you. No soldier i.e. Christian, disciple, gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. In other words, we need to be willing to suffer for the gospel. How? As a single-minded soldier, as a law-abiding rule-abiding athlete, as a hard-working, toiling farmer, knowing there will be a reward. Like a soldier, Paul is calling us, God is calling us to be single-minded, to please the one who enlisted us. It's speaking of the cost of discipleship, of devotion to Christ. Christ said it bluntly in Luke 9. You don't have to turn there, just hear it. Verses 61 and 62. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first say farewell to those at my home. 
Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. As an athlete, we must be willing to play by God's rules. What are God's rules? Well, God's rules are clearly found in his word, the Bible, how we ought. But I think when he's saying we ought to compete according to the rules, yes, he's speaking about the law and the words and the commands were given. I'm showing you on my iPad, but you know, it's, you know, the Bible's there, believe me. And he's also saying this. The rules of competing in God's economy include suffering. If you're going to compete according to God's rules, you're going to suffer. You understand that? If you're an athlete and you're going to train, you're going to compete, you're going to suffer. I'm just looking at Marcos here. Was it half marathon you're training for? He did a full, full marathon. Well, if you're going to run a full marathon, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer in training. Yeah, you're going to suffer a lot. Church, that's what God is saying. If you're going to follow me as a disciple, as an athlete, you're going to suffer. Oh, it's a good suffering. It's a hard suffering, but it's suffering. In fact, later on in this very letter, we read the words in chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Ouch. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Those are God's rules. That's reality. And lastly, we must be willing to work hard. Literally, the word there, work hard, is toil. Toil for Christ as a farmer. Now, maybe if you can identify with the soldiers, some of you have been soldiers, maybe some of you, you are, you are athletes. Not many of us can identify with farming. I had a little experience back in the day, but I tell you, it's hard work. It is toiling. It is six, seven days a week, 12-hour days. Oh, toiling is a great word for it. We toil as farmers waiting for a harvest. I can't help if when Paul wrote this, this analogy, this metaphor for farming, if he didn't have in mind what he wrote to the Colossians back in chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. I want to put it up on the screen here. I think it beautifully sums up what grace-empowered toil looks like. Paul used the exact same word in the Greek. Hardworking, toil, same word to describe his service to the saints. Look at these words. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Here it is. For this I toil. But catch this next phrase. I toil. It's hard work. It's suffering. Struggling with all his energy. Whose energy? God's energy. What energy? His empowering grace that he powerfully works within me. That's it. That's a Christian life. Church, that's empowering grace. As we step out and proclaim and teach the gospel, may we experience this empowered energy and spiritual fruit. For as the crown is promised to the athlete, so is the first share of the harvest for the farmer. Well, in conclusion, I love how Paul ends this section. It's the way we're going to end it as well. Very last sentence. Think over. What I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I love that. (laughs) Lord, give me understanding. It's the promise. He will give you understanding. Oh, he'll give you empowering grace. He's not going to give you understanding. 
to know how you are to suffer. Lord, what does this mean? What do you call me to do? To suffer as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer, as part of your call as a disciple. Do you need understanding regarding your suffering this morning? There may be a variety of reasons why you are suffering this morning. It could be because of your own sin, the consequences of your own sin. You're not receiving the punishment for your sins. If you're in Christ, Christ received the punishment that your sins deserve. But you are reaping what you sowed and the consequences of it. And you're suffering. There is a type of suffering like that, right? If that is you this morning, oh, that suffering is a call to repentance, to turn from your autonomy, your self-independence, that sin that you are wholeheartedly pursuing, and turn to Christ as your Savior. Some of you are suffering not because of your own sin, but because of the sin of others. Because you live, and I live, in a fallen world. And you're suffering. But I want to give you, because Scripture does it, a third category of suffering. It's what we see in this text. You're suffering this morning because you are following Christ as a soldier, as an athlete, and as a farmer. And if that's you, church, take courage this morning. God's grace is there to empower you that you may walk and live out the life which he has called you to in holiness. It's a promise. It's a command with a promise. Think over these things and may God give you wisdom and may God give you courage to pass on and to persevere in the gospel. I can invite the band to come up right now as we quietly transition. I want us to sing about this grace, this grace unmeasured, this saving grace, this empowering grace. May we this week, church, experience it afresh. So with that in mind, let me pray. After I pray, then we'll stand, all right? Let's pray. Well, Lord, we've just begun to think over what you've said. May this be a beginning this week as we fix our eyes upon you and your word we trust that you will give us understanding give us understanding lord to how we feel right now and just the nature of our suffering and lord with that understanding would you give us the grace the grace to repent the grace to trust the grace to move forward in faith and to faithfully give what you have so gracefully given us. Lord, help us to be a people and to be a church who faithfully passes on the gospel to others. May we be like that Sea of Galilee. What we receive, we pass on, and may there be life and life abundant. We pray at Paul and Vesta. This is the work you're doing, Lord. We're just saying, oh, Lord, Keep on, keep it on, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing, church.